0: Good evening, everyone, and thank you for coming. Uh, My name is Max Stevenson. Delighted to have you here this evening. This is, I am told, the 41st. Uh, It's getting to be a long live series of talks in the Community Voices series. Community Voices is run by an interdisciplinary group of graduate students affiliated with the Institute for Policy and Governance in the School of Public International Affairs here at Virginia Tech. And they're all interested, whether they're doctoral students or master's students or whatever their discipline, they're broadly interested in community change and community dynamics. And they've had folks from all three sectors of our political economy speak. Some have been from private firms, some from nonprofits, some from for-profits, to um, the question of how they situate their role, the role of their firm, the role of their NGO, the role of government, in um, community change processes. And so we've had a wide variety of people from agriculture and the arts to um, more business-like strategies to folks that are working in other domains as well. So um, today we return to uh, an arts focus and a very interesting project with which Amy is involved, our guest is involved, uh, which we hope will become a national project, which is to marry a very successful methodology in the arts, at encouraging individual agency community claim um, with a more classic assets-based approach, and Amy will have more to say about this, um, to community development and community change. And it's quite a challenge and very interesting work, and it'll be uh, a lot of what she talks about this evening. Um, We are delighted as the Institute to partner with our colleague uh, Kim Nualni and her department Um, of Agricultural Leadership and Community Education. And we appreciate very much your support. And then I'll I'll need to get this uh, right. We're also uh, being sponsored by um, our Native American Culture Center here um, at Virginia Tech this evening. And our very special guest, actually, is a member uh, and elder of the Monica Nation. And she will bless this talk uh, here in a moment. And I thought what I would do, just so you don't have me talking up here too long and we don't interrupt the, the flow of events, is I will um, introduce both folks, Uh, Victoria can come forward, then Amy will follow, um, and I'll be out of the way. So um, our colleague, Arlene Goldbard, who um, we've come to know as part of the work in community cultural development, the role of the arts in community change processes, recently introduced um, a talk that she gave at the Native Arts and Cultures Foundation in San Rafael, California, where she had a blessing by a Native American elder thusly. Every community owes its existence and vitality to generations from around the world who contributed their hopes, dreams, and energy to making the history that led to this moment. Some were brought here against their will, some were drawn to leave their distant homes in, in hopes of a better life, and some have lived on this land for more generations than can be counted. Truth and acknowledgement are critical to building mutual respect and connection across all barriers of heritage and difference. We begin this effort to acknowledge what has been buried by honoring the truth. We are standing on the ancestral lands of the Monacan people. We pay respects to their elders past and present. Please take a moment to consider the many legacies of violence, displacement, migration, and settlement that bring us here today. Join us in uncovering such truths at any and all public events. And please here in a moment welcome Victoria Ferguson, Elder of the Monica Nation, who is honoring us this evening by starting with an invocation. And now a little bit about Amy uh, Brooks, who is our guest this evening, who comes to us from her role at Roadside Theater and um, she is at roadside theater she is both a program director and a dramaturg i got it i wanted to say dramaturg and she said well we say dramaturg so um, but in any case amy is uh, joining us and what i was particularly interested in um, as i reflected on having amy as a guest with our students um, involved in the project was again this, this uh, project that I mentioned which is called Performing Our Futures, which is joining the many, many years Roadside Theatre has been involved in community change efforts at at the community level using the arts with more classic uh, economics-focused, asset-based kinds of strategies. She's involved with Roadside Theatre, which is the theater wing of Apple Shop, an Appalachian grassroots arts and media center, and she coordinates that ensemble's core programmatic areas and she oversees special publishing, performance, and arts and culture-based economic development projects, including uh, the one called Performing Our Futures. She also helps build and share uh, roadsides 40 years. Um, And she was saying at dinner, this is quite a challenge of literature, keeping its living library at the fore of public discourse on arts and cultural equity. Her recent projects include Performing Our Future, a collaboration with researchers from Imagining America, artists and scholars in public life, and economists from Lafayette College up in Pennsylvania to discover how arts and culture can catalyze equitable development in communities with histories of economic exploitation, including much obviously of Appalachia. She also co-edited Art in a Democracy, Selected Plays of Roadside Theater, a forthcoming two-volume anthology of original roadside scripts, Framed by critical essays that examine the plays in several contexts, and what's always interesting about roadside scripts is that they arise from the community. So I hope you'll join me in um, listening carefully to what our guest has to say, and I'll ask if Victoria could bless our event.
1: Okay. Good evening, everyone. Um, when I came here today I usually come with an open mind and I figure out um what I'm supposed to say Uh, it'll hit me you know uh, it it happens all the time uh the one thing that I would think my ancestors would would want you all to remember as we go through this is that when we lived here um, many many years ago and we lived as a community the one thing that we did have is um, a matrilineal way of thinking where the women's clan was the dominant clan and women had power and we had a say and we worked hard to keep our families and our towns together. And as we've gone through the years, we've seen that kind of disappear. We've gone from matrilineal to to patrilineal or patriarchy, uh, you know, so these things have happened. But for us to know that once upon a time, uh, women's clans were the dominant clan in this area and uh, and it makes a difference. It truly makes a difference in how our families are. Uh, also, I want to remind, I, I want to share with you that um, my great aunt kept a journal, and her journal is uh, out there on the World Wide Web. And when you first start reading it, she makes a statement, and she said, "I found a hawk feather today," and she said, uh, "I'm going to hang it over my door because Granddaddy always said if you." hung a feather over your door with the quill down that the bad spirits would go up the feather and not enter into your house. So may we all find hawk feathers and hang them over our door so that our houses will have good spirits and not bad spirits in them. And we see the eagles and we see these birds as our conduit to the great spirit. And I could not do a blessing today without my eagle feathers because that's just how we are. So let me say, we called the great spirit Mahomni in our language so great spirit or muhammad thank you for the blessings you've given us today thank you for the sun that rises in the morning and sets at night thank you for the moon and all the cycles of the moon because each cycle will give us different things thank us for the thank you for this the seasons of the year because truly each season will offer us something that we need in order to survive and as we go along this conversation today please allow us to find our humanity and keep our humanity as individuals also the one thing that i would like for us to have today is respect not only for each other but for the land that we live on for the water that we have because these things we share with everything and everybody so we've arrived here safely and it is our prayer that we will all go back to our places and we will remain safe when we do that thank you very much i hope
2: Before we begin, I want to ask uh, Victoria, is it alright with you if we have our talk here? I think we should have our talk here. Thank you. You're your welcome. Permission? Mm-hmm. We continue. welcome, everyone. Um, from the sublime to the ridiculous, you're about to notice that there's a strange tech issue going on. Because uh, students, don't be like me. Download your presentation so that if these weird tech issues arise. Uh, you'll have time to deal with them. So you're gonna see a little mirroring happening in the screen, because I can't seem to make those presenters' notes disappear and still access them myself. It's not the most visual talk anyway, so just roll with me, try not to read ahead. (laughs) It's like reading the closed captioning on Netflix during a horror movie, you don't wanna be, you know, lose the element of surprise, just try to focus on the images, (laughs) and we'll be fine. Thanks to the uh, Community Voices team. Uh, Max and Kim and Regina and Andy so much, uh, thank you so much to Victoria uh, for that beautiful invocation and for giving us a sense of community right from the start and for coming out here and sharing your time and your knowledge with us. And um, I'm very grateful for the sponsorship of the American Indian and Indigenous Community Centers here and for an organizer named Kaylin Stewart, are you here with us? Kaylin, thank you so much. Kaylin is an amazing undergraduate organizer working with Native at Virginia Tech. She hustled to make this happen. She's the one who went and kind of um, negotiated this deal, and uh, you know, this we would not have been able to have that invocation to have Victoria as an elder here this evening without Kaylin's uh, work. So I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, and ask her about the powwow that's coming up in the spring, sponsored by Native at Virginia Tech, because I want to learn more about it too. So, um, diving in this evening, as you can see, I'm Amy Brooks, and uh, I want to start by honoring the elders in my field, which is theater. um, And I want to begin in this talk where my artistic director and my mentor, Dudley Cock, uh, left off in his own Community Voices talk six years ago on the stage of the Lyric Theater and uh, that is with a song from Corn Mountain, Pine Mountain, a play that Roadside developed over a 30-year community cultural exchange and creative collaboration with Idiwan Anchawe, which is a Zuni theater tribe based in Zuni, New Mexico, on the Pueblo. Um, So the excerpt that you're about to hear, the song, it follows a harvest dance. Um, A storyteller steps forward and says, now winter has come to the people. The seeds are gathered and lullabies are sung to them so that they'll rest and be ready for the spring. And then that lullaby trails off, and another storyteller steps forward and says, we no longer persist on behalf of the seed family and Mother Earth. Could this be why there's so much sickness throughout the land? And as he asks this question from upstage, uh, this Appalachian ballad begins, which soon becomes a Zuni-Appalachian song. So when I hear this music, and it took me a a few minutes to kind of gather my thoughts, uh, writing this speech the other day, to capture what it is I feel. And I feel full with the deep knowledge and love of place that infuses every gesture and note of the two communities on stage together. But I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that in that fullness is a little seed of pain the place that I work, Apple Shop, is an Appalachian Arts and Humanities Center based in the coal fields of Whitesburg, Kentucky, where people believe uh, very, very deeply in their shared mountain heritage and cultural traditions, be they Scots Irish or Native or African or Asian. And there I'm surrounded by multiple generations of Eastern Kentuckians and Southwest Virginians who are the inheritors of the emotional and the intellectual and the spiritual genius of their Cumberland Mountain communities. They are true culture bearers in every sense. A fact that's reflected in their 50 years of performances and filmmaking and community radio and convenings and activism. And you don't get to hear from any of those people tonight, you get me (laughs) instead. And mine is a really different story, Um, but it's the only one that I can tell you. Because since I came to work for Apple Shops Roadside Theater a couple of years ago, I've learned to trust in the value of first voice storytelling and its power to open us to being, if not friends or political allies, then neighbors, which might be something like colleagues to whom we are accountable in this hard public work of learning to remember and invent the world together. So um, the beginning of my story I was born and raised in West Virginia and like a lot of Gen Xers I got out early and I wandered for many years uh, living very poor and never putting deep roots down in any one place for any long period of time. In time I got myself educated in theater a discipline which um, pretty much in America serves the 15 percent wealthiest and whitest and best educated segment of every community, and it funnels its young talent with very few exceptions into the cities in major metro areas, especially New York. So as a dramaturgy student at UMass Amherst, sort of taking apart the engines of stories to see what made them run, I told myself, oh, this is great, I'm home, finally. Um, I had a foot in that kind of elite Northeastern cohort of Yale and ART in Columbia, and I was being groomed to put the other down in some literary manager's office or maybe Samuel French Publishing, the many places that dramaturgs go to do our job. But one night, uh, late in my internship at a Tony-winning regional theater, uh, I listened to the very sleepy chatter of the well-heeled, older, white arts patrons and audience members at Intermission. And I heard that they were not affected very deeply by this clever play that we had produced, which would spur no change in this community because it didn't reflect the community's diverse population or their spiritual or their material needs. And like most professional theater, was never even meant to be enjoyed by that community as a whole. My advisors at UMass Amherst couldn't help me with these questions, but I felt a rupture in my field and in myself doing the work And uh, this rupture whispered to me that I needed to work for higher stakes. So I studied all the community-based and rural and grassroots arts they hadn't taught us about in the academy. And as soon as I graduated, uh, I talked and I grant wrote my way into a full-time job at Apple Shop just months before the 2016 election. And the story I told myself was, oh, finally, I'm going home, (laughs) like a dummy. Of course, I found out right away that the story that I had told myself about coming home to Appalachia and belonging there was ridiculous. I didn't know the language or people's names or the kinds of birds in my backyard or where to make a friend to drink with on a Friday after work. I like the people that I've met and I hope that they like me, but they have made their lives together as dynamic organizers and shared deep histories and blood ties and complex social loyalties that are tested and realigned throughout violent scandals, devastating multiple generations, and they really, really like football, which is not me. And I don't <laughs> fit into that picture um, any more than I fit in at academia or in my hometown, uh, where I was an observer with zero leadership skills, who mostly liked to keep to myself and listen to people. Um, our Kentucky poet, Wendell Berry, talks about rural homecomers. But lately, as an outsider, I have wondered what I might accomplish if I set aside these entitlements of uh, home—tight-knit family, common vocabulary, shared values—these things that we assume we're owed—and focus on the creative organizing that leads us to belonging, even as strangers, or introverts, or people who dissent with those around us as a matter of survival. So tonight uh, I'm going to tell you all about just one piece of Roadside's work that has helped me to redefine belonging to a community in this way because it invites us to describe the problems which affect us locally and to imagine solutions together without requiring us to assimilate. So this is a beautiful photograph, I wish you could see a little better. It's a square dance in Carcassonne, Kentucky. It was held in 2016 as part of an Apple Shop project, Performing Our Future. It's a new national project, started very locally and now just moving into a national phase. Uh, Started in 2015 by Imagining America, uh, Artists and Scholars in Public Life, the Economic Empowerment and Global Learning Project at Lafayette College, which does equitable economic development in uh, small rural and urban towns, and uh, Apple Shop where I work. And around 2015, these partners started to ask each other, what would it take for arts and culture to catalyze equitable change in communities with histories of economic exploitation? And in asking that question, uh, it dawned on us, a light bulb started to go off, that two seemingly unrelated Apple shop teams did relate to each other very much because both are about the business of lifting up personal stories of people in our communities, to create the conditions for them to imagine new ways of belonging with each other through communal action. Uh, The first of these is Roadside Theater, my home and Apple Shop's theater wing since 1975. There you see a a piece of a photograph from Betsy, our Appalachian Puerto Rican musical that we produced in partnership with Progones, a Puerto Rican theater company in the Bronx. Uh, Roadside specializes in community cultural development using the story circle as a basic tool to build empathy across differences and to create new place-based and intercultural plays that are of and by and for working-class urban and rural people, as you've heard. And the Letcher County Culture Hub, I say to our lead organizer who made this diagram that it's the work of a madman, Um, but right there you see uh, a little bit of the the diagram of the work that my organizing director colleague at Apple Shop, Ben Fink, is doing. Uh, at this point, it's a two-year-old network of 19 community centers, artist and artisan organizations, business associations, volunteer fire departments, public officials, government and educational organizations, and diverse local for and nonprofit uh, educa- or educational groups working together across political, religious, and cultural lines, and I really wanna emphasize that again. They are working across political, religious, and cultural lines and divides, of which there are many in Eastern Kentucky, to identify latent assets, including cultural assets like music and stories, uh, and turn them into community wealth. So this is uh, Ben's uh, hub diagram. And like many grassroots community development efforts in Eastern Kentucky, the Culture Hub began as uh, a playmaking process. In this case, with Ben's experience as a new Apple Shop employee going to story circles throughout Letcher County um, to record stories for a roadside theater play that has since been made into a play about the future of Letcher County and our economic development. So uh, Roadside the Culture Hub and our national partners shortly after this moved on to the next stage, and refined two major questions for the next part of our work. And these questions are, how can the arts and culture promote individual voice and collective agency, unbind a community's imagination and ambition, and create the conditions for equitable economic and civic development, something like our original question. But now it was partnered with, What core organizing principles and practices enable a community to overcome internal and external barriers and build an economy that's broad-based, just, and sustainable? So there in the arts and culture and the organizing orientation, you see the seedlings of a a new methodology that we're just loosely referring to as community, cultural, and economic development, because it's rooted very firmly in roadside's historical community, cultural development. And now we bring in this economic organizing component. So our experiments with these questions to date have yielded some interesting events and projects, including a week-long Summer Institute that we convened with our national partners at Apple Shop last summer, where we brought in 13 international teams of scholars and artists, community organizers, um, and our partners, and uh, immersed everyone in Letcher County culture. Uh, Everyone participated in 24 hour art making periods that were steeped in apple shops, many disciplines of filmmaking and playmaking and community radio, and uh, studied uh, Performing Our Futures community cultural and economic development model to take back just the seedlings of some ideas for uh, development projects in their own communities, many of whom are struggling with similar economic conditions. Uh, A second project we're working on is the Forum, which is a lab of uh, about 30 emerging leaders. We say emerging and not young because it's intergenerational. Leaders in fields like folklore and rhetoric, uh, performing arts, government, philanthropy. Uh, and these young people are convening, uh, you know, by technology, maybe once a month to create new cross-sector projects and publications together. And uh, we had an initial convening at Pine Mountain Settlement School last year um, where we had a, some pretty deep conversations and made some action plans for our own communities that were good. And then a body of narrative and interview-based research uh, led by Lafayette economist uh, Flooney Hutchinson, who is behind the the Economic Empowerment and Global Learning Project and Cornell sociologist Scott Peters, whom some of you know, um, and they're asking longtime residents and cultural workers there around Apple Shop and in the community what's the story of what's happening in Eastern Kentucky and producing some media around that. So that's the project to date. And if at this point you're saying to yourself, well, that's great for Apple Shop, your kind of rural arts organization and your partners, but what has it got to do with our community here at Tech and anything that's happening here? So it has everything to do with Tech because a partnership with your institution is taking ours into the next, we hope, national phase of this project. Performing Our Future's challenge, which we've had to identify in the course of this work, is to connect our deep archive of content that's drawn not just from performing our future activities, but from Apple Shop's near half century of media and performance and community cultural development to regional and national and global events and discourses. Uh, An example that sprang to mind while I was putting these notes together was how can we connect our anti-racist organizing and performance in media that we've produced to campuses where white supremacist action is entering the mainstream, as we've seen in uh, many campuses, not just here in Virginia, but throughout the the region and the nation, Um, because as we've seen, uh, we talk about this all the time, failure to unify equals failure to thrive, and this disunification across silos, and disciplines and geographies and cultures within communities and institutions um, and the broken dialogues with their communities, connecting those to 40 years of anti-community regional and federal policy, um, it's created a culture where almost everybody's belonging is contested. And uh, the poor, and particularly minority poor, are marginalized and targeted for violence. And you know we feel this on every level, from dialogues we have in the classroom, all the way up to what's happening on the federal level. Some of it happening today. The last time I gave this talk, uh, UNESCO had just disbanded. So every day there's some new news about this coming in. So under this onslaught of, of new problems and disunification and, and uh, ruptures that are happening, what could be the catalyst for unity? And our answer at this moment is uh, radically increased strategic communication and coalition building to connect communities, connect institutions, connect classes, connect uh, institutions of higher learning to the communities where they are. So this point enter Virginia Tech Artworks and Bob Leonard. So in 2016 a team that was led by our longtime partner Bob Leonard who is head of the MFA directing and public dialogue program in the School of Performing Arts here at Tech uh, approached us about sharing performing our futures activities as a model on a new web-based forum for civil discourse knowledge sharing and documentation of arts and cultural movements for grassroots change. So on this site, community cultural development practitioners can connect. They can network and share strategies for new place-based arts-driven projects for equitable development, because we know this work is happening everywhere, but the communication is not always happening between those projects. And this project is collaboratively developed by uh, Bob, by the Roadside Apple Shop team and our Performing Our Future partners, by uh, Virginia Tech Library data specialists, and by the Ithaca-based design firm Colab Cooperative. Uh, the site is designed to pick up where CAN, does anyone remember CAN, Community Arts Network? Yeah, there's some people who remember CAN. Uh, So for about a decade, ending in 2010 I believe, uh, the site um, was kind of the premier a hub for frontline artist activism and the idea is that Virginia Tech Artworks and its many partners including Marcella Shale project led by Talking Band uh, will pick up where that discourse left off and create a new platform for dialogues and uh, Performing Our Future happily is a part of that. So now in 2017 we are going to test this Performing Our Future methodology in self-selected urban and rural communities across the country. And we are hoping and betting that this new phase to be documented and connected to the discourse on Virginia Tech Artworks is gonna demonstrate how performing arts with a strong orientation to organizing can create conditions for all members of a community to come together to create a new story about who they are, what their future can be, and the work that we need to do together to build the people and the knowledge, and yes, especially the money power to enact that new story this is a picture of an Apple shop pick and bow. It happens there. And if after the talk, if anyone wants to kind of come up and uh, I'll put it up on the screen so that people can look at it. It's a beautiful picture. Um, That is POF in a quick nutshell. So the question is, where does all of this information leave us in our desire for what civil rights leaders call the beloved community? If I've learned a thing listening to strangers' stories, it's that the fear of not belonging is one thing that unites pretty much everyone. We are all out of step in some capacity. Uh, Maybe you dread holidays because of your family's politics. Maybe your family was built on addiction and abuse, and as an adult, you still feel like you wear your trauma on the outside for everyone to see. Maybe your belonging is tied to a culture with a life expectancy of 34 years, like trans women of color in America. Or maybe, like a lot of us, you are a wanderer. Who doesn't have those deep community roots you are on the periphery of many communities and you doubt the cohesion of your story and you were wondering how such a misfit as you can possibly contribute to a cure for what the zuni called the sickness throughout the land Uh, the poet david wagoner said wherever you are is called here and you must treat it as a powerful stranger Well, here in this moment, it might not be the beloved community that people longed for in the 60s, or utopia where your ideas are going to resonate perfectly with mine. But we are here together in this huge moment of unknowingness where the only certainty is change. And confronting that reality of change, there are ways for us to do robust civic work, not easily glossing over differences but rooted deeply in our respective cultures, so that when we do meet as strangers to make some lovely thing, there's space to recognize each other's power with some curiosity and uh, maybe a renewed sense of neighborliness. And thank you for very much for listening to me this evening, and now you've heard my story and my questions, and I really am looking forward to opening up the, the floor for our conversation. Thanks. Make a little plug here. I could start by asking y'all some questions if that would open it up a little bit. I don't mind, as you've seen, I'll do about anything. You practically just read my diary up there. So when we talk about community and belonging, let's just kind of start kind of broad, and um, how, does the, how do those words resonate with you uh, wherever you're from, whether you are uh, a Blacksburg local person, or a part of a neighboring community, or um, how you fit on, on the campus. Um, I'm curious as to how those words resonate with you. And I think I might kind of pull up a chair so that I'm sort of <laughs> sitting on <along laughs> you <laughs> and not standing okay. in this position of authority, if that's okay. I, I wrote a small
3: piece a while ago about the dance community. I'm a contra dancer. Oh yeah. Um, and there are contra dances in every city across the country. and one can go to one of those events often it's a weekend festival so there'd be people co- converging from all different directions and feel at home and the um, it's live music it's um, you sweat a lot you smile a lot and um, if you don't know anyone it doesn't matter if you don't come with a partner it doesn't matter uh, It, it engages one in a way where the dance of uh, you have to look in your partner's eyes mm. so you you are a community and and that's what i think of uh right away as community even though i'm rooted in a very nice community in floyd
2: so being a roadside member i ought to say instead of uh sharing an opinion tell us a story about a time and this is another way that we can do this tell a uh, tell a story about a time that you felt that you were a member of a community. You felt that you belonged. I think most people have experienced this in some way too, just like they felt maybe out of step. Uh, They've also experienced that counter feeling of like, yeah, this feels like home right about now. Um, The trick is that it's different for different people, so. I wanted to share
4: um, that I, I don't know, I had like this really weird experience, I think when I was in my 20s, where um, I grew up in Northern Virginia and when I was about 20, I think 23 or 24, I relocated to the Pacific Northwest for a while. And weirdly enough, because Northern Virginia is one of those places where, you know, even though my family's from there, you know, I'm from there, people ask you all the time, just, oh, where are you from? And it's like, you know, like, that's not, that's not every community. A lot of communities, you know, they just kind of assume you're from there, and, unless otherwise, they have a reason to think you're not. But not there Um, and so I relocated the Pacific Northwest thinking that I would feel completely out of place and I felt more at home because it was not that kind of place Mm -hmm. so it's it wasn't I don't know even though obviously it's still um, it was around the Seattle area so it's still it was still a a whole bunch of transplants it just wasn't that same feeling and I think it just made me realize that every community has its own um, I don't know. It's just like, even though it's still like in the, you know, kind of, you know, collection of like American places, you know, you know places in the United States, and um, it just kind of, uh, it's just every place has their own little different something, you know, different cultural norms, different social norms. So I felt more at home, <laughs> even though I was totally far away from. Home. <laughs>
3: I was just thinking about um, an experience I had back in the 80s working at the share warehouse which um, was remarkable to me in bringing together uh, people from many walks of life in the community around very practical hands-on work that anybody could do and how I felt like I belonged there because I had something useful to do, <gasps> even though the people that I interacted with there were not people I knew um, or it, you know, it was a, maybe a community in some kind of abstract sense, but I only saw them there and, but because I had a useful function. I felt like I belonged.
2: It sounds like a community in a really concrete sense, <laughs> actually, since it was based around physically producing something together. I would especially love to hear from students, you know, what it means to you. Y- y'all don't have to introduce anything, like, controversial if you don't want to, but, you you know, you are welcome to, so. You, this is your community, you know, in your years here, So.
5: Um, <clears throat> so. I guess when I think of belonging, I think of it's like it's kind of an urgency to to want to relate with people. Um, coming here, it was different for me because, of course, I'm out of my element. I'm from Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm used to being around you know people that look a lot like me, and you know so it was it was a it was an interesting experience, in and I guess um, in a way I kind of had to adapt, but it was interesting even more so to see how different even African-American people were here compared to being home. So it's still a different culture. It's still that sense of belonging I was looking for. And in a weird way, just, you know, just based on the things that I, I've done in my past and, and, and enjoyed doing in my past, you know, I used to work in clubs a lot. So, um, You know, we had a little party not too long ago downtown, and it actually was something that we were able to come together and organize, and it was effective, like no problems, no nothing. Like it was just a bunch of people that looked like me. We came together. Everybody was dancing, enjoying each other, like, and it was cool. And to me it felt like home. You know, that was was a rare feeling up here. Um, Out of the three years that I've been here, that was probably the one time where I was just like, you know, like I feel really comfortable right now, you know. It was just interesting.
2: Yeah, music is emerging as a common thread in this. Uh, it, it is huge power to unite. It's unbelievable. Uh, when you think about a concert, it's like an ins- instant community. Everyone is gathered to hear this particular performer. You know, They're there because they love that music and a, a sense of community is created around this. You know, yeah.
6: Perhaps um, I was I was reflecting on what Robert has just said, as well as what Victoria so eloquently kind of framed for the conversation tonight. To me, belonging isn't this monolithic idea. I feel like belonging is it's contested. I think it's rooted in, it's, when I think of community, I, I often ruffle at the thought that community is this benign concept and I guess I challenge myself and others to, to, to think about that because there's a lot of trauma that's attached to wanting to belong or not being asked to belong or being pushed out. And so that's not to say that there's not a lot of joy and, and care that goes with that, but I feel like it's remiss to not kind of be in those uncomfortable places when I think about belonging because sometimes you're belonging because you, you don't belong somewhere else. And so that, so that diaspora is really, really present. That can come across so many different experiences. So I mean, I think we all can probably focus on in a different story circle, I suppose. So I feel like that to me is really important. And that's sort of a larger reflection on what it means to belong. Not so much my own personal belong, which I could speak to, I suppose, in a different way. But um, not to, not to forget and to really, really focus on that place of conflict.
7: Sort of building on or at least dovetailing with what Kim was just saying, I study how communities um, communicate with one another, both the larger community that we may all belong to and then the nested communities within that that we may also find ourselves belonging to and communities that contrast and abut one another and abrade one another. Also, perhaps under a larger community, if you think of perhaps Virginia Tech as one large community, there are multiple communities within it. And some of them truly are nested like little Russian dolls and others are in great conflict with one another. And even the same terms that we use in in conversation in one community may mean something entirely different in another. So finding commonalities so that you can even at least communicate where everybody is understanding one another and not misunderstanding how words are used or phrases are used that can be a real challenge and that's a part of perhaps trying to find a way to belong as well to belong you have to connect and connect in multiple ways and to do that you need to communicate and communicate clearly so when i'm thinking about communities that often comes to mind
1: as i listen to um, everyone share their information the one thing that that I think about and I said this earlier today is that we don't have front porches anymore and so uh, being raised at a time period when we had front porches uh, I see community is is also a feeling of, of being safe you know you, you're okay I'm, I'm back in in my my little area here so I'm safe now I f- I feel safe and I think Growing up as children where there were maybe maybe only two parents sitting on the front porch while we were out playing, but at least we know that those two parents had our best interests at heart, and we could go and we could play, we could do all of these kinds of things and know that we would be safe. you know know that we would be safe. And uh, so I think for a community, having that safe place uh, becomes very important. I left. Uh, the rural place uh, that I lived, that I was raised, and went into the city. I went to live in Philadelphia. And it's, it was very difficult for me to to have that I feel safe all the time. Uh, you know, y- it, it's a certain mode that you get into. You know, you pull your purse under your arm a little tighter, and, uh, you know, you, you're looking around and make, you know, uh, making sure nobody's walking up behind
2: well, you. What was the question that you asked? It was like your big question right up front when we asked if you would come for this evening after the event
1: like what, what was what were we what were we going to do what was our goal what what were we looking at and we were talking about it led us here to to community so oh, the one I was
2: thinking of was making sure that you didn't have to walk to your car alone oh yeah I did <laughs> like, I, yeah, I said uh, yeah I don't, I
1: don't I, I don't it's know this community so I'm like so you know when I come and do this it's going to be dark you know we'll we'll you know somebody walk me back to my car um you know if I was on my street at home I'd be like yeah no problem you know, so for us community, for me community, is that, that safe, that safety net that we should have. And I feel sorry for people who live in communities where they don't have that feeling of being safe.
8: Yeah. I Thank you for that. Um, it, it makes me think about the reality that um, people can live in a community I can live in a community and feel safe and others in the same community don't. Mm -hmm. And I feel an urgency to uh, really dig into that um, right here uh, at Virginia Tech uh, and in Montgomery County Um, because uh, it's quite, um, quite a chore for me. Uh, over the course of my life, to even comprehend that, um, I assume that the world I live in is the world you live in. I think that's fairly normal, uh, but it's it's treacherous uh, because that assumption is not accurate. And what do we do about that? How? D- and I, the one of the reasons that I treasure the work of, of roadside theater, uh, and in in a very large way, Junebug. Uh, productions behind um, Roadside is the uh, utilization of the simple human activity of sharing story as a specific strategic carefully wrought methodology for building trust. And um, it comes off as being relatively simple in the sense that you going to tell stories. Oh, okay, you all know. We do that at home. I got that. But there is a very wise, I would say, a set of, uh, simple set of protocols and method in this methodology that looks to the act of storytelling as a way to cross over between those who would feel safe and those who don't. Um, so I just really thank you Representing roadside um, for continuing to to aggressively um, share uh, <laughs> to bring it forward, not to sit, let it sit under the bushel, but to bring it forward from your experiences in Letcher County into a national um, presence. Um, so, thank you. <clears throat>
2: I'm a dramaturg. I'm not especially uncomfortable with silences, as you can tell. I'm cool just to let the room sort of resolve itself as it will. Um, but the, uh, the 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 way you put it, yeah, kind of aggressively sharing is we do. You have, if you organize, you have to hustle, um, you know, and it's. Uh, It's if you're uh, a performer, which is my background, then, you know, you sometimes you take your chances with uh, having two people in the audience. And if you're a community organizer and the more I work among these community organizers, I see uh, you risk the same uh, apathy or indifference or or simply people being too busy or not connecting and not coming in. (laughs) But Serena's coming in. That's cool. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. We we like babies at uh, Roadside Plays. People always brought their babies to our shows. It's cool. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's um, part of what we try to get across in talking in this moment, uh, which is a slightly different historical moment than we have been in. um, What we're trying to get across is that these differences have always been with us. They are, in fact, supposed to be with us. Uh, the most disastrous and abusive ones need to be actively combated, but just fundamental differences in perspective, worldview, political affiliation, are supposed to be among us. We're not supposed to see things the same way. It's something about the framework of these communities where we are has changed. The the framework for the conversation has changed. Um, and we're we're big fans of you know historical timelines and perspectives at roadside because we like to see everything as as part of a historical movement or a strategic plan that someone has implemented. And we like to put this kind of breakdown in in, um, community communications and connections in about a 40-year time frame. Um, So you have to go back a little ways. It's really, really easy to attribute everything that we're experiencing right now to the current administration. Um, Positive, negative, whatever you feel about the current administration. Uh, But it's very little that is new is happening. It's just aggravated in a, in a certain way that's being pushed to a point. Um, I've never seen anything like this in my lifetime, so I can't tell a story about it like the organizers I work with can tell about organizing in the 1960s with the Student Unviolent Coordinating Committee or the Free Southern Theater. Uh, you know, I wasn't alive to see any of those movements, and my orientation and training aren't to um, this kind of work at all. I've only been doing this with Roadside for two years. I, I can't across enough if there's one thing that i would like people especially younger people to take away from this talk tonight it's that literally if i can be doing this work anyone can be doing this work or some version of this work that works for them um you know organizing to try to connect people using whatever skills you have whatever you care about whatever you consider to be your community um is work that you can be doing even if you are faking it or you are terrified to death um I do think that it's something that we're all called on to do uh, at this point. And it's something that I'm talking about with this liberal cohort that I was educated with, you know, too. You know, they're, they're like curled up and crying in Pantsuit Nation still. And like, I know it, what happened is, you know, terrible for, for a lot of us. It's really hard, but we have to go back to work. So people ask, you know, what was it like moving back to Appalachia, moving to a part of Appalachia, in fact, that is very different than the, like, metro Appalachia I grew up in. My God, just before the election, how can you stand it? Uh, And the answer is, it's great, because I like my neighbors, and I get to go to work every day and tackle this stuff head on. I don't feel helpless, because I'm surrounded by people who know what they're doing, even when I don't. And uh, if you feel like you don't know what you're doing or you're not equipped to do this, then find the people who do know what they're doing because they're in every community. They're people of color. They are uh, indigenous people. They are women who have been fighting to be heard in these meetings. Uh, You know, they are people who have different economic ideas and are trying to fight against the status quo. Pretty much wherever you are, there are people in leadership already doing this work. And if you can find them and learn from them, then you too can do this work. And uh, I hope that we all do. I'll, I'll promote an event for a second and say, uh, please find out more about the powwow that's coming up in the spring, um, sort of coordinated by Native at Virginia Tech. There was a successful powwow uh, this last year, the first in Tech's history. And uh, I looked on the website before I came, and in the breakdown it says uh, Native American population at Tech, 0%. Well, for 0%, y'all are representing pretty well. So congratulations on that. And I look forward to learning more. And if any of you would like to be in touch, I'm going to reactivate the contact info. And you can look up more of what we're doing and uh, find out a way to get involved if you want.
0: I think that's a good point to end our discussion. Thank everyone for coming. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you, Amy, for splendid discussion. And I'm sure we'll be continuing this in future programs, so look for those. We'll have one November 6th. Uh, And you'll soon be seeing flyers concerning that. So thank you very much.